0: I created my How to Be a Man podcast because I don't want my son to learn how to be a man from Donald Trump. I don't want my son to brag about abusing women, act like a racist, or film himself shooting beer cans with a military weapon because a multinational corporation printed a rainbow on them. It is that vision of masculinity. Which elevates in values, violence, judgment, and brutality, while mocking virtues like sacrifice, moral courage, and social courtesy, I see too much of. So I created How to Be a Man as a place where we can have these conversations. Episode two features John Lear, writer, producer, and actor best known as the Geico Caveman. We talk about Harvey Weinstein, the Me Too movement, and making everyone comfortable on a TV set. John and I grew up together. And the best moments of my childhood were us hanging around, just trying to make each other laugh. All right. We are on with an old friend of mine named John Lear, a writer, comedian and producer currently in L.A. You best know John as his his character on TV, the Geico Caveman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, he's on my he's on my podcast today. John, welcome.
1: Thank you. Welcome, Frank. It's good to be here. I hope I sound okay. You sound good. All right. John, you, good. You're,
0: uh, you're in the midst of the writer's strike. Is that right?
1: That is correct. Um, it is underway and it looks like the actors are going to join too. And I'm in both unions. So uh, I got nothing to do.
0: <laughs> there's, All right. There's not a
1: whole lot going on here except for picketing. And I, I'm a producer. And so my company is doing some uh, non-scripted stuff, um, which is, you know, uh, I'm grateful for. But yeah, hopefully we'll get what we need and they'll settle this thing and we can all go back to work.
0: Well, John and I have known each other since we were, I want to say pre-teens. We were in middle school or high school. Mm-hmm. So it's been some time. We were, and, uh, John, we were tweens. We were tweens. We were tweens. Yes. And, uh, <clears throat> Not much needs to be said about that. I mean, obviously we're under certain, you know, legal orders not to discuss some things that happened and and uh, you know, I made some promises to some to some religious orders that things would never be spoken up. So i am going I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to adhere to those. Okay. But John's also not just a, a brilliant writer a actor, comedian, he's also a producer and a father. How old are your uh, tell us about how old your kids are? I don't know. Uh I don't
1: pay attention to No, they uh one is, one is 14. That's my son Hudson. He's downstairs uh, with a broken collarbone, um, which he's thrilled about. And uh, my Who's daughter her? is 17. Her name is Jules. And she is on her way back from a campout out uh, with a bunch of 17 year old kids. So, and I remember the camp out that we did, Frank, when yes. we were around seventeen, and my God, I hope she doesn't do any of the things yes. we did. Yeah, I think that.
0: Um, I think there's several orders that we're not allowed <laughs> to discuss what happened in, got, in that. Yeah, let's absolutely. just say that I believe it was uh we were in Missouri. Uh huh. There we was in a camp yes, we, site we were. In Missouri. I think that's all. Real. I think that's all I'm allowed to say. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I remember you spilling a beer somehow through the tent window onto us inside the tent. Yeah. It's so unlike me because I'm so coordinated generally,
0: (laughs) Um, but that's not possible because that would have been at a time when, when we were not of legal age to drink beer.
1: Mm. Oh, right. Okay. So, so enough,
0: enough. And we'll never speak of it again. (laughs) So, uh, so aside from being a, uh, a big time Hollywood celebrity, Tom, mm. are, are, you're, uh, you're also a father, and uh, these are the reasons that I wanted to have you on to discuss uh, how to be a man. You are, a, as far as I've always been concerned, a model male. Really? But we are as some say men of a certain age. Yes. Yeah, we are. We're on the backside of the mountain, Frank. It's, it's all, it's all it's a sprint to death. Sprint to death at this point. I uh, I, I would not have I would not have put it so so bleakly. Oh, well, I wouldn't it have is. put it in a way that that you know.
1: Listen, I'm not going to lie to you, like the rest of your friends. You're you're halfway to death, probably more, considering your background.
0: Yeah, that's kind of what my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. Um, one of the things that uh, that I thought would be interesting to talk about. Is uh, how what it's what it was like for you when you when you went to Hollywood. Now your journey to Hollywood, I think I'm in a position to to give some background that, that other people may not. You didn't go straight to Hollywood. What you did was you went from high school to <clears throat> Northwestern uh, University, where you where you studied improvisational comedy. Is that right? Well sorta I I I went to Northwestern
1: um and uh based on uh, advice from a teacher Sally Shipley who we both had who was this amazing teacher she didn't like you very much but she, she loved me she did not me. like me she, no, did not she like didn't you. like you she, <laughs> she was but. the
0: inspiration for uh and referenced in Ted Lasso
1: Yes she was yes she was uh and she is she's amazing uh person uh and she Recommended that I go to that I apply to Northwestern, which was in Chicago. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I mean, you know, I knew I liked performing, as you know, and I, but I didn't really think I could make a living doing that. I, I didn't know. And, and she suggested I apply to Northwestern. I got in and I was actually going to study speech, teaching speech, which is basically what she did. And I discovered improv while I was there and kind of got into the theater department. And then that sort of led to uh, doing theater in Chicago, doing this kind of crazy improv comedy theater. And I was discovered by a talent scout from Fox who came into Chicago and came backstage and said, uh, I was in a two man show at the time. And she said, do you want to come to LA and do a a showcase for agents and and, and people? I I remember all of
0: this, by the way, I, at the time, was at the university. I started at the University of Missouri, Kansas City, studying music, and and uh, <clears throat> I recall I visited you in in Chicago at Evanston so frequently during college that um, I spent I spent almost as much time in, at Northwestern <laughs> that I did on campus in Lawrence, <laughs> and uh, I, I I saw that two man show.
1: Yeah, and it was it was it was really at the time kind of groundbreaking and just super fast and funny mm-hmm. and. Uh, so we went to LA, we, she asked us if we wanted to go and we were like, uh, yeah, cause we were broke, you know, theater comedy guys. And we did that show and ended up getting a manager and an agent and, uh, what's called a holding deal, uh, where you get paid to, by NBC basically paid us. They didn't know what to do with us, but they didn't want us to go work with anybody else. So we got paid like 15 K each to do nothing. <laughs> which was the best well. job I've ever had. Um, and, uh, yeah. And so I was, uh, unfortunately a, a drug addict and alcoholic at the time. Uh, so I blew it all in about a month and a half, which was a fantastic month, month and a half. And then, uh, years later got sober and, uh, I've kind of been able to cobble together, a a, a career to, uh, out here, writing, acting, and producing, and
0: a little bit, a yeah. little bit more than cobbled together. You're being, uh, you're being modest. You, you yeah. created uh, some of the most groundbreaking and, in my opinion, uh, hilarious comedy shows on TV. Um, well, most recently, Quick Draw was at Hulu. Uh, yeah, Quick Draw was at
1: Hulu, uh, and then I did uh, uh, Ten Items or Less, which was at TBS. Uh-huh. And uh, a, a great show called Jailbait, which was on uh, for Crackle. Sony on on Crackle. Yeah, uh, that loved, one I is hard Jailbait. to find. <laughs> I
0: don't find it anymore. And you were mentioned in that in that show. You were uh, yeah, my You had a uh, uh, one of my favorite actors played Frank House.
1: Yes, Frank. Your name has been. I've dropped references. You're. You know. You were a very big influence on me. Uh, in my life. And yeah, you're referencing a lot of my stuff. I also know you won't sue me if I use your name. So, and Frank Housh is a great name.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What was the name of the, uh, it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll edit this part out, Uh, but it was Tim something, the actor. Uh, Tim Bagley. Oh, he's one. Yeah. Yeah. He's amazing. I, I, he works all the time. So (laughs) the topic of the, of the podcast is, is, is how to be a man. And one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you is you have sort of the insider view, uh, I think, of, of, of Hollywood. Uh, what it's like to be in an improv troupe, what it's like to be on the set of a TV show, what it's like to be on the set of a movie. You've also done several movies. I, I remember driving you to Toronto for the Toronto International Film Festival. That's right. That's right.
1: That was so fun. That was fun. That was so fun. Oh, no, no, not 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 Toronto. Oh yeah, it was. It was what's the Toronto? film festival. That's right. Noah Baumbach. Right. Yeah, I was in a Noah movie Obama. of his. I met uh, what's his face, who got you know, who started the he, you know he was uh, basically started the Me Too movement by his dastardly, despicable Epstein. actions. Uh, no, no, not Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, Harvey Weinstein. I, I met him there. And uh, totally got a bad vibe from him. just immediately. I thought this guy yeah. is a horrible person.
0: So let's talk a little bit about that. Now, one of the things that that I would be curious about, but I, that I think you can speak to, sort of indirectly, is what what is it like to be a, a you know a pretty young thing, a beautiful twenty some year old girl who's in, a young woman who goes to L.A. to try to succeed, uh, and and you know the Harvey Epstein the Harvey Weinsteins Weinsteins of the world you know sort of circling them like like vultures what, what well, can you tell us that you've observed? I mean the the whole industry, the whole our whole
1: culture is steeped in sex, you know sex cells and and so sex is constantly exploited in every visual medium uh, but particular, Lee in tv and film uh and the uh and particularly with with women and young young attractive women and that's been there since the inception of of tv and film and it's still uh here today so um the pe- americans want to look at gorgeous hot people doing gorgeous hot things and you know you look at the T- you know the 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 shows that get the most attention and 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 you know it's still the fact as 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 primates we we some reason for some reason we want to stare at that
0: <laughs> you know, well, and I, America- you know I, I, I I can't disagree with you about that obviously but, yeah. but one what the questions that I have as somebody who, who really has nothing to do with with show business other than what I know through you yeah is The stories of Harvey Harvey Weinstein are so shocking. Yes. Not just because of of the way that he treated women, although that is shocking and disturbing. Mm -hmm. It's what seems to be the clear environment of tolerance surrounding him. That's right. How is he able to do that?
1: I you know you're you're dealing with artists, uh, people who have not been in, uh, corporations have not been in places of business really, you know, and they're, they're not. And so there's a lot of messiness that goes on and a lot of, um, indiscretions, not just in this area, but across the board. I mean, you wouldn't believe some of the behavior that's tolerated on a, on a set. I mean, people can scream and yell and cry and, and be the most ridiculous, People you can possibly that would never ever go over in any other industry, and I think that's that you know it's because it's it's you know mainly populated by artists. It's mainly driven by the whims of the viewers, and so there's there's just no there there you know. And I think there's this idea that that artists need to be tolerated in some way or or or, or um coddled in some way. So I think that like created this environment that has taken decades for people, for them to kind of get, get it together, you know, and me, call it out sort of, when it's me, inappropriate. Me, you know, let me,
0: let me give you a scenario that, that now that you've brought that up. Um, yeah. Say that I had, we haven't uh, for me, uh, a trial lawyer of 30 years, say that the, the thing you, this young woman and I have to get together and prepare uh, a trial. Right. Um, and, one of the things that would be, you know, unusual is if I were to ask a young woman to, you know, let's work on this, but I, w- I, want you to come to my hotel room alone, and I'm going to show up in a bathroom. That would never, that would never occur to me. And I think that if anybody, if I had done that, I would have justifiably, you know, received, you know, a uh, 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 bad consequences for that. But Har- Harvey Weinstein seemed to be able to do that.
1: Yeah, and it seems it
0: because he was so powerful. It's insane, isn't
1: it? not it? Because the, people are so desperate, the competition is so incredible that somehow there's this environment that you've got to do things that you wouldn't maybe normally do in order to be. Con- you're afraid you'll get blackballed. You're afraid you won't get the job. You're afraid well, of all these things. That, and these
0: that's and a these justifiable fear. Take Harvey advantage. What, say that again. That's what Harvey. That's what Harvey wants. would do. That's my understanding. Right. And he As would, if he would take advantage of it.
1: Yes. Would, yes. And there's no yeah. Yeah. And he would, and you would hear about. And so he would put it in, in these horrible positions. And people didn't speak out. And for many different reasons. Some because they were just craven. Some because they were um they were afraid that of you know that he would do something to retaliate. You know, all of these, some because they thought it it wasn't real, that it wasn't really happening. I mean, you look at Trump, uh, you know, and 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 his statement about being able to grab uh women, you know, in in right. their private region, you know? And he's, he tosses it off like it's nothing. There are it attracts these people who are really beautiful, really talented, amazing people, and it also attracts these really slimy, horrid predators who want to take advantage of those people because the people who um, are artists who want to do it have dreams. You know, this isn't about money really. I mean, for some, I guess it is, but for most people, it's really just about making stuff. You know, it's about making something to express themselves as an actor, writer, whatever. But the people on the other side, it's about money and it, and those two clash like a, a car accident. And so people like Harvey Weinstein, who's never made a thing in his life, doesn't do, know, you know, uh, how to anything about art, but knows how to exploit artists, takes advantage of it. And it's how
0: it's how has that changed? In the? how long have you been in, in, in L.A. now? It's 30 years. God, tell me about 30. how that's changed. Tell me your observations about, you know, how the sort of interaction between what's tolerated uh, has changed in that 30 years.
1: It, you know, it's always everyone's always recognized the problem, and it's not just about you know uh, sex either. It's also about diversity. It's also you know there are many many um, ways that people are exploited in terrible ways um, in in Hollywood, and it and and throughout the time that I've been here, there's always been talk about those of us who want to change it. Uh, those of us who want to support change. Um, and it's been an uphill battle for anybody on that side, you know, uh, of the fence. When you say that and- side,
0: John, you mean people who want to fundamentally change the system so that people coming up aren't exploited?
1: Yeah, that it, that this can be a a, a place that inc- is inclusive to, uh, you know, all all types of people uh, and can be safe for all types of people. And, um, which by the way, we think makes better business, (laughs) you know, it makes better art to have that, uh, by the way, but, but it's always been like, it'll, it would bubble up and there would be movements for change. And it would kind of just end up just kind of going back the way it was. And, I don't know these famous last words but I really do for the first time in my career here I really think that change is actually happening. I okay, really well, uh, do. First of
0: all I'm glad to hear that and second of all tell me why you why you have that optimism.
1: Well I think me too uh and black lives matter are the two movements that have really shifted things here uh, that combined on the meat on uh, uh, the, I mean, those are really powerful movements with lots of powerful people behind it and on board for the first time in, in a real way. And I also think at the same time, the business has provided lots of um, opportunities for um, uh, art to get out like for example there are a lot there are a lot more um ways to to sell your stuff uh you know it used to be abc nbc fox and uh uh, cbs you know and now there's dozens and dozens and yes it's contracting a little bit because it blew way wide out but there's still dozens of places you can take pitches and really if you get uh you know a, sl- a slice of the audience you can be successful so in other words you don't have to appeal to e- to the common denominator in america to get your work out there you know you can appeal to a, a, a one particular uh denominator you know and and that that so that those things i feel have kind of intersected at the right time um and there's just there you see it you see it, and companies see the value of having diversity um, on many levels. I think uh, you know people who buy shampoo and uh, cars and streaming devices uh, are, are, want diversity. They're pro diversity by far the majority. I mean, there's still a minority that doesn't, but um, and that's the minority in power in in political America. But I think in in terms of what people are you know consumer america if people want to make money they better be they better appeal to a diverse group of americans or they're they're not going to people are, aren't going to really pay attention to them
0: what, you know i did I'm i I, of, I did uh, a
1: go ahead i did a show i was producing a show uh, for a huge uh, cell phone company and they said to me, John, we want you to be the only white dude on the set <laughs> <laughs> and we'd rather not see you right.
0: and it was it was awesome, you know it was like and, yes, and okay, let me just let me interject but it sounds to me like what you're saying, and that didn't come from a place of you know not liking white people, it came from a place of they want they want this what they're doing to to reflect the actual uh, makeup of they want their audience to to look like the you know the show to look like their audience exactly they
1: want to sell cell phones and they know who buys cell phones and they want a crew and a, and a cast that echoes that you know and also the the the, the I think the the value of diversity is has has uh, has grown. You know, it's it's more important than ever before. People have come to learn what has been obvious. I think is that hey, we're stronger in with a diverse uh, point of view.
0: I want to ask uh, some questions to somebody you know who's who's not in show business that, that I find interesting. And I'm gonna I'm gonna absolutely not your show, uh, Quick Draw, which is pro- I, I'm guessing the 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 of the shows that you had, the one that had the biggest audience. Probably. Um, yeah. And, or the Geico in, caveman commercial. Well, that there, was probably. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Those are, you still but know. The my shows.
1: Table. Yeah. Uh, Quick draw was the biggest. Yes.
0: In that show, you had sort of an unrequited relationship with, uh, with, the, with the, with the, with the owner of the bar. Yes. Alice. The Alice yeah. Well, what was the mm-hmm. actress's name? Alison Dunbar, yeah. just a, a, a beautiful woman, and uh, she had a had a very sort of extremely sexualized burlesque show yes. on one of the episodes. Yeah. And, and in that episode, I remember you you sort of sat in a chair and you know sort of observed that she she went through this extremely erotic dance.
1: Yeah,
0: and um, I was thinking, you know, first of all. I was thinking any number of things, but I I was also thinking, you know, how did that feel for John? Did that obviously, you know, this beautiful woman doing this? I'm guessing it also may have been uncomfortable for you. But more importantly, what what do you, as a producer, do on set to make sure that all the people, including Allison and everybody there, is comfortable? Because this is not a situation that I can ever imagine myself being.
1: yeah it's uh, yeah, well, okay, so the, first of all, the audience should know a couple of things. The show was set in the 1800s. so the, it, the, it was a, it was a, a comedy western. So we were we were using the um, separation of time. We were using the historical comedic perspective to kind of be subversive about issues today. Right. And and so we were playing with the idea of 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 what it would be like to have a super kind of metrosexual uh, uh, sheriff who, you know, was a feminist and was and was not macho at all and was very comfortable with a woman who owned the saloon, who also happened to be a sex worker uh, but it was the money all, she was in control of the situation and she was the alpha of the of the couple. And so that was kind of the core of what their relationship was all about. He just loved her. I, at one point she said, she says to him, Hoyle, that was my character's name. You're more like, you're more like a, a woman than anyone I've ever met and of any man I've ever met. And I, and I, my character responds, I take that as a compliment. So, I mean, that's kind of who they were, right? So she comes up, and, and you should also know that the actress, Alison Dunbar, it does this incredibly successful burlesque show. No nudity. It's burlesque dancing um, in a club in LA that's huge, huge. And she wanted, she approached us about wanting to do this burlesque some sort of bring that into the 1800s. Like, hey, this is the, she's the person who sort of invents burlesque dancing. And we thought that was hilarious and 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 great. And so she is doing this burlesque dance. In the 18, I'm a sheriff who's just shocked by it. I'm sitting there, I'm supposed to be shocked by it all, but I'm also, of course, attracted to her. Uh, but at the end, she says, well, what do you think? and all i'm concerned about is that she was using a wooden pole she was inventing the strippers pole and i'm con- i'm concerned that she might get splinters and she's <laughs> like that's all you have um and so it's this really funny uh bit that sort of comments on on it as a whole i think in many ways it was like we were proud of it it, it was um, well you should
0: i mean it was it was it was absolutely hilarious it was great tv <laughs> it was it was just, it was it was meaningful and hilarious and just typical of your work. But one of the things that I that I think I know from listening to podcasts like the It's Always Sunny podcast It's always sunny in right. Philadelphia is yeah. my favorite show. And yes. one of the things that uh, that I think that I've learned from listening to these three guys uh, who not don't just write the show, they, you know, they produce it and they act in it.
1: Mm-hmm. Similar and, to us. Uh,
0: yeah. What they uh, like what you did. And one of the things yeah. that they have made clear is when people come on to set and they realize that this is that people are cool to, to put it, you know, in sort of, you know, simple terms. That is, there's not a lot of, yes. you know, sort of bad. The, the people are cool. They want they're going to have they're going to have the freedom to do um, to, to sort of express a character. And and especially the women who are on, who come onto the show, they're not going to be creeped on. Right. They're gonna, you know, they're, they don't have to. They don't have to be constantly on their guard. And I'm guessing that that was the the situation. Allison obviously felt. I use her first name like I know her. I don't. Uh, she obviously <laughs> felt very comfortable in that environment, or she wouldn't have been able to to give that performance.
1: Absolutely. And 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 most of that had to do with my producing partner, who also directed the shows, who was a woman. So you had this male female team, Nancy and I, who were the producers. We were the writers. she directed, and I was in it. And we made it crystal clear that the way, the only way to get fired off our show was to be a jerk. And we would say that in the first meeting. And we had to fire a couple of people that well, were. Tell, not- tell me what you said. Tell me
0: if I'm I'm a PA. I show up at your at your uh, at, at the first day of work, and I'm working for you. E, and I know that you and Nancy are the bosses. And I noticed that the that the entire set is filled with these beautiful women. What is it that you would tell me?
1: And men, beautiful men, men. Frank. Okay, yeah. Um, we would say, look, we know that we're not curing cancer here. Okay, we're making a comedy television show, and so, but we're relying on our actors to improvise because our all of our stuff was improvised. We had scripts, but um, the dialogue was improvised, and so we need to create an environment that's super super professional. But also we, we want, we need support from our crew for our actors. Cause it's really weird to improvise in front of a hundred people where they can't laugh or clap or react, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So we, we want to create a really safe environment. So they feel comfortable doing that because we want to get the best performances, but we also all want to go home at night feeling good and not feeling like jerks. And so if you are rude or mean or disrespectful in any way, this isn't the set for you. And then we would follow that up. And I remember on QuickTraw, there was a boom operator who was just, it, he wasn't being sexist or weird. He was just being a jerk. He was just being rude. And I said, listen, you know, if you act like this, you're going to have to go. And he couldn't change it. We let him go, you know, and, it, and that sent a, a message to everybody else there that, hey, you got to be cool and respectful to people, you know, and Nancy and I were at the top of the rung and we were cool and respectful. We weren't dour. We weren't mean. We weren't angry. We weren't curt. We were very friendly. We were professional.
0: And that just you trickles down. You, you know? didn't, for example, demand that, that actresses who wanted to, to get a part in your in your show come to your trailer where you would answer the door wearing <laughs> uh, nothing but a bathroom. You no. didn't do that. Is that fair to say? No. Yeah. Yeah. I would never. I never did that or
1: had any interest in doing that. I wanted to shoot a show. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, You know, and yeah, no, there were, it, it was the coolest set ever. And I still get people today that I run it. I still work with a lot of the same crew and a lot of the same actors. I have a show, well, it's on hold now, but uh, that's in development. And um, yeah, they come, they say, you know, I, I get the best compliment I get. And I get it quite a bit. was that your, your set was the most fun set I'd ever been on, you know? <laughs> And it's yeah. and is it
0: fair to say you know to just sort of go back to the theme of the show how to be a man at least how to be a man for you creating the type of highly specialized very you know improvisational work where you require people to be very vulnerable mm-hmm. uh, the way the way to do that as a man was to be respectful of everybody else don't be a creep mm-hmm. don't yeah. make remarks about is that fair to say
1: yeah. I mean, it, it, it it would, it would, it, they would be gone so fast. Like, I don't, I don't understand how a producer would let that happen in any way because they, it, 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 you're, you're creating a discomfort in the exact people you need to be at their most comfort level. You know, it just seems like it's, 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 flat-out wrong on moral levels, it, but it's also flat-out wrong on a level of trying to make the best art you can make. I mean, it just interferes with everything. We did have one incident um, on Quick Draw where an actor who worked one day uh, had to kiss an actress and he stuck his tongue down her throat, and which is a big, you don't do that. There's no reason to do that. No one sees your tongue, so there's no point in that. Um and the actress didn't tell us. And, um, and and later she did. And we, of course, we, we didn't bring, the guy was supposed to come back another day. We didn't bring him back. Um, but we had wished she had told us in the moment because we would have fired him right then
0: and there. Can you but explain, I, can you tell me, I, I think I can guess the answer to my question, but I'd like to hear it from you if you know, mm-hmm. why didn't she?
1: She was intimidated. She was afraid that he would retaliate. She was afraid that we wouldn't have her back, maybe. She didn't know us. She had just started on the show. She was um, uh, part of her thought that women have to deal with stuff like that. Because I'm sure she gets versions of that all the time in her life. Um, I don't know. I don't know what it's like to be a woman in that situation all I, mean, I can do is when i know about it is back her up 100% which of course we did is it
0: fair to say that uh it's unusual as it was nancy hower was the director of, of that show yeah that was that's unusual for a woman to be directing a show is that fair absolutely. to say absolutely
1: absolutely and it changes everything
0: you know when
1: first of all i don't know anyone who would take advantage of a love scene I've done a few love scenes and they're the most uncomfortable artificial. The last thing I would ever think about is enjoying it. I mean, there's a hundred people looking at you. You're it's There's nothing sexual about it at all. It's more, it's more akin to going to the doctor than to, you know, Making love uh there's and, nothing and, uh, intimate about it Well, little I know i've
0: I've seen from interviews and it, evidently if there's nudity by maybe by by rule by union rule there has to be a sock covering the genitalia is that I didn't have to get i never had oh I did have to get that naked
1: once uh in a in jail bait I was getting uh... I remember that scene is that the search scene <laughs> I was getting searched but that was with another man. Uh, and he was, and me, he, was, he, both of us were I'm laughing lose. because
0: I remember the scene so well. It was one of the yeah. funniest things I've ever <laughs> seen in my life.
1: Basically I'm getting cavity search and my contact pops out and I'm concerned <laughs> about losing my contact. Uh, and it, I was, I had a fever, a horrible fever during that scene. And, and so I was just like, Oh, I was just, it was horrid. It was, and Nancy comes up to me and she's like, cause we had to shoot with three cameras cause it was improvised. Cause you know, every take was different. And so she
0: came up to me. I don't goes, know why that means you have to have three cameras, but... but well, you know. just
1: need to cover it so that you can edit out the stuff you want. Uh, usually, when it's scripted, you, can sh- you shoot the same scene over and over and over again with different angles so that you have all those different angles to choose from in the edit room. With improv, every time you do it, it's completely different. So you have to capture all the angles at once every time. And so... <laughs> Nancy comes up to me and she goes uh John we we I keep seeing the day I was wearing a dance belt which was sort of like a jock strap and uh she's like we can see the what do you think about just doing it n- nude in one scene and I'm like all right I was sick I didn't care so I <laughs> it's just this horrible I remember after we shot it the crew all leaves right away because they want to give me, and I'm just left alone, you know, nude with my wet jock strap, uh, putting it back on and getting in my robe and going on to the next scene. I, was, I
0: actually love that scene so much. Yeah, I was it was worth for it. it. I was looking for it on Crackle. You can't find that show on Crackle now. If you can send
1: I, me, if you I have send it me all. That
0: scene,
1: and not, have and the, whole, oh, you got it. I'll send you the whole season, Frank, and you can cut that scene out.
0: All right, all right. And I will if if will do I have to like call Sony to put it on to put it up to, to post it up? No. Right. Sorry. <laughs> as a lawyer, I'm going to say that's sufficient. That's sufficient. Yeah, <laughs> I give you I take full responsibility. Well, John, okay. as a father um and as a father of of two precocious children in LA. Um you know what? Can you tell me about what you've learned grow- with with a spectacular wife uh, who I haven't seen since the wedding? No, um, she doesn't want to see you, Frank. Well, uh, did, I, I don't know how many times I can say I'm sorry. Did she get the flowers?
1: <laughs> yeah, she got them, but it it it's it, it. Trust me. All right.
0: It just seems like a long time to hold a grudge. I'm just, you know,
1: it was, well, it was the type of grudge that needed to be held for a long time. Let's put it, let's put it that way.
0: The scar healed. (laughs) True. (laughs) So what can you tell us? You've learned about how to be a man just, you know, being a father of, of, you know, in LA in the past 30 years. (sighs)
1: I don't know. I love being a father and I don't know where that comes from, uh, but I just love it. Well, I know not you know your
0: dad. I think that comes a lot from, from him, but
1: yeah, he was, he was, he was, he was, he was an amazing, amazing father. Um, you know, I, huh. I, I I took, first of all, I took parenting classes. I took a lot of parenting classes, um, not just when they were babies, but even for, I took a, a class called PET parent effectiveness training, which was, is like a, it's from the seventies. It's kind of like a nonviolent way to parent. It was really interesting. I learned, I got, you know, I just had tons of, we took tons of different classes that gave me tons of different perspectives on parenting, which I, some I agreed with, some I disagreed with, but even when I disagreed, I knew it helped me formulate what I wanted, what kind of father I wanted to be. And I basically realized that I didn't want to be a father who uses power to get my kids to do stuff. And I thought that that was the only way, you know, threaten of violence or threaten of, of, of threaten, um, uh, you know, liberty or whatever, um, to get, yeah, to coerce them into doing what I needed them to do to behave. And I thought that was the only way. And I learned that that not only is it not the only way, but it's not the most effective way either. And, um, and so I, I have kind of become a father who, believes in a win-win situation uh from almost all parenting situations now i screw up all the time but i think they know that i treat them like a human you know and that i'm not the most important human in the house that we we're all members and i think that that's gone a long way man it's gone yeah. a long way
0: that's a great place to stop i could uh- I could, and we, we have often talked long into the night, but it's not going to be now. It will again, hopefully, be soon. Uh, let me just say uh, thank you, John, Thank you for your time.
1: Oh, Frank, um, I love what you're doing. I think this is a great podcast, and um, I'm,
0: I'm really pleased to be a part of it. John Lear, uh, the Geico Caveman, actor, writer, producer, all around Bon Vivant. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Bye-bye. How to be a man. Where mature men manfully discuss the making of the modern man. There will also be women. Exclusively here on my Substack.